May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The scriptures today, as always, lift up anchors of our faith. And today, those anchors are from Exodus, the story of salvation and liberation, God's salvation and liberation in human history. And Paul's letter to the church in uh, Rome He points out the core, the core tenet of action in Christian faith, which is to love thy neighbor. In our gospel, we hear of reconciliation and ways that the church has tried throughout its history from its earliest expressions to live into the ministry of reconciliation with one another. Today, those themes are come together for me, wrapped up in a huge sense of gratitude. Today is September 6th, and I'm not sure how often this happens, but it's not often that September 6th falls on a Sunday And it is the anniversary, the 24th anniversary, of my ordination into the priesthood in El Salvador, uh, was where the ordination took place. And it has been with a sense of deep meaning and purpose and a, a richness of life that cannot be found in, in, in possessions, but in experience and in service and in reliance on God that I, I give thanks for these 24 years. Gratitude is a tenant of Christian faith and a tenant of a life that is lived with some sort of peace, even in the midst of all that goes on in this broken world of ours. And everywhere I have ever served, I have learned about salvation and love and reconciliation, and I've learned about it and taught with gratitude. In New Jersey, where I became a postulant and went up through the ordination process there, the good people of St. John's on the mountain in Bernardsville, New Jersey, welcomed me into their beautiful homes. Even if I did drive a $700 bright red Ford Fairmont Futura, with ugly burgundy interior that sported bumper stickers that said things like, not a dime for desquad democracy in El Salvador. After my first sermon there in that beautiful stone church, a distinguished older gentleman was honest enough 
to shake my hand with lots of respect and say, great delivery, loved it. I didn't agree with the thing you said, but you said it with faith and it was engaging. Well done. I learned a lot from that congregation. In New York City, where I went to seminary, I was told by the academic dean there when I was coming back for my last year that I had more theology credits than God himself because I had studied an extra year at the Jesuit University, the seminary in San Salvador, El Salvador, and all of those credits transferred. I was ordained a deacon in my senior year in seminary, which wasn't um, a, a, a habit or a tradition, but we did that so that once I went back to El Salvador, which I had been appointed by the National Church to do, um, I would be a, ordained a priest as soon as possible after getting there because that's what was needed. At seminary, I never felt comfortable in the fancy vestments, and they were very fancy back then, that I had to wear as a deacon serving on the altar. But I happily wore chasubles, the epitome of fancy vestments, on soccer field masses once I got back to El Salvador. I think that part of the issue there was that I got some very jealous not very um, supporting looks from fellow seminarians who weren't so sure that they couldn't do uh, serve better at the altar than I did. And um, in El Salvador, when I wore those fancy vestments on the soccer field, I did get some looks of confusion. I was the first woman ordained a priest in El Salvador, which was an honor an honor and a privilege and a challenge and, um, and a grace and a joy. I was able at that time back then to drive, took two road trips to El Salvador from New Jersey. First when I moved down there um, as a deacon and as a missionary and then once again to bring supplies, some of them very random, like once I had lots of soccer balls from the World Cup that was played in the U.S. and like three accordions. I don't even know who gave them to me. But in El Salvador, at my ordination on September 6, 1996, there was a ton of media because it was um, a first. And before my ordination, I hid in the bathroom to smoke a cigarette because I smoked when I was nervous back then. And I didn't want to be a bad example to the boys and girls that might see me if somebody clicked the picture. And after my ordination, I quit. Ordination will change your priorities. There were Episcopalians 
from all over the country of El Salvador there. And there were Episcopalians from all over Central America and all over the U.S. There were atheists and Jesuits. There was a big banner from a women's movement that I supported and had lots of friends at. Big, they brought a big banner and unfurled it at the back of the church. It was a wonderful, crazy mix of people. The Reverend Rosa Brown, originally from Costa Rica, preached about being an unwanted woman and a foreigner. The text I had chosen for the gospel was the woman, the Syrophoenician woman, who begged for the crumbs and who Jesus said had much faith. I was called La Padra all over the country and some other things that I have striven to forget that weren't quite so endearing. And I've told you this story before that I've had to, one of the first things I had to do as I started uh, serving an outside a street mission in El Proyecto Santa Teresa de San Martin was to let go, fire, a man named Jesus. I had to fire Jesus. So there were many, many challenges. But mostly, mostly in my years there, I listened and learned and acted upon what I found out solidarity meant for real. I lived into what John Sabrino called the spirituality of compassion. And I learned from the people that I served about reconciliation and what role I might play in that country and in that space. It was a blessing. In Washington, D.C., I preached the day after 9-11 at my church, St. John's Lafayette Square. I preached about God mourning with us as we mourned. The day before, we had watched from our office windows as the smoke rose from the Pentagon. We were reminded by my boss and by the rector there to keep praying for our enemies, even if we didn't feel like it. That's a lesson to learn over and over and over again for all of us. And Texas, dear Texas, some of you might get this reference to a country song, T for Texas, but I've changed it a little bit more, T for tamales. T for Trinity, the church that made a rector out of me. What haven't we gone through together? What haven't we gone through together? Hurricanes and floods and conflict and capital campaigns and prayers and blessings and triumphs and joys and baptisms and weddings and 
confirmations and receptions and friendships, deep, deep friendships. And I've learned of commitments that run so deep and teach so much that I am always humbled. When I first got here, though, I had to kind of establish myself as people would come in asking to see the man in charge, and I would have to say, I'm him. It's been wonderful. It's been a joy. Every day, every year, good times and bad through love and reconciliation. And liberating deeds, I have a heart full of gratitude. The poet William Blake said, Gratitude is heaven itself. Nathaniel Willis wrote that gratitude is not the only memory, is not only the memory, but the homage of the heart. Gratitude is not only the memory, but the homage of the heart, for his goodness. And even in this pandemic, I am grateful to God for the ministry we share here. A ministry of love and reconciliation and gratitude. Paul VI wrote about reconciliation. And he wrote that a love of reconciliation is not weakness or cowardice. It demands courage, nobility, generosity, sometimes heroism, and overcoming of oneself rather than one's adversary. At times it may even seem like dishonor, but it never offends against true justice or denies the right of the poor. In reality, the ministry of reconciliation is the patient, wise art of peacemaking, of loving, of living with one's fellow human beings after the example of Christ, with a strength of heart and a mind modeled on his. And so it is with gratitude that I stand before you this day, remembering a life of the privilege of serving and thinking about what we all are called to do in loving our neighbors as ourselves, that tenet anchor of Christianity which we have been living into in these times of pandemic by staying physically distant, by wearing masks, by not celebrating the Eucharist, which seems so counterintuitive. But the pandemic has moved on, is longer than we've ever thought at the beginning. And so we are living into it too. And we will begin today, this Sunday, 
which coincides so beautifully with the anniversary of my ordination to celebrate the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist again. On behalf of those of you who are still at home, because I've heard from so many of you that that is what you want. St. Teresa of Avila wrote that though we do not have our Lord with us in bodily presence, we have our neighbor who for the ends of love and loving service is as good as our Lord himself. So we will celebrate the Eucharist and call on God's real presence, Christ's real presence. And we will continue to call on you to serve your neighbor by being careful in this pandemic, to love your neighbor by taking precautions not to spread this disease. C.S. Lewis wrote that next to the Blessed Sacrament, next to the Blessed Sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. Your neighbor is holy in almost the same way for in him also is Christ the glorified Christ glory itself in your neighbor Christ glorified is truly hidden amen